So in anticipation of Valentine's Day, and all the guys said, ooh, that's coming up. And all the women got their elbows in their husband's side. Hey, so you got three days. Um, we're going to talk about love today, and then not just any kind of love, but God's kind of love, which is different. So as we approach Valentine's Day, the holiday that's associated with love and romance, here's some Valentine Day facts. In the 1300s, it officially became a holiday associated with love and romance. The first Valentines were sent in the 15th century, but not until the 17th century did people start exchanging cards and letters, and Valentine's Day cards weren't mass-produced until the 1840s. Today, it's a pretty big business. About 55% of Americans celebrate it and spend an estimated $18.2 billion a year, including more than $1.7 billion on candy alone. And all the dentists said, Yahoo! <laughs> on average, men spend $150 on Valentine's Day, and women, just $74. <laughs> Step it up, ladies. Ammo's expensive, right? <laughs> Americans send 141 million Valentine's Day cards each year. That's more than any other holiday except for Christmas. And how sweet. Teachers receive the most Valentine's Day cards annually, followed by children, mothers, and wives. Nearly 9 million Americans will buy gifts or cards for their dogs. Don't leave the pups out. Furry friends need love too, right? The most popular gift on Valentine's Day is flowers, followed by chocolate and then jewelry. Americans spend more than 220 million roses, uh, send more than 220 million roses each year, and as many as 6 million couples get engaged on February 14th. The first heart-shaped box of chocolates were introduced in 1868. Today, more than 36 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolates are sold each year. That's 58 million pounds of chocolate. Neko sweethearts, also known as the conversational hearts, were invented in 1866. And I think I just got an original box the other day of them because it used to taste so good when you were a kid. Each box has approximately 45 sayings, including true love, hug me, and you rock. But you can personalize your own too and have about two, 10 new sayings are added each year. More than 8 billion conversation hearts are manufactured each year. And Neko has to start making them just days after February 14th to have enough in time for the next Valentine's Day. They have a shelf life of five years. <laughs> Lace is commonly used in Valentine's Day decorations. It comes from the Latin lox, which means to snare or to net, as in catch a person's heart. It's celebrated differently around the world. Many Latin countries know the holiday as the day of lovers, a uh, day of love or, and friendship. And in Japan, it's customary for just the women to give confections to their men in their lives with the quality of the chocolate indicating their true feelings. So I guess if she's not that into you, you get X-lax. Yeah. John Lennon wrote a song entitled, All You Need Is Love. If he was talking about agape love, the God kind of love, he would have been right. Pastor Don Crow says, as humans, we have, all have the same basic needs, the desire to be loved, accepted, and valued as well as having a sense of self-worth and knowing that we are right with God. A lot of religion today makes us feel unloved, not valued, and not accepted. One of the greatest strongholds that Satan uses against believers is the feeling of guilt and condemnation, while all along making us feel quite spiritual about it. 
So I'd like to start out with telling you a true story about a man who one day fell deeply in love with a prostitute. After marriage and having several children, this woman began to go back to her old ways. As a result of her lifestyle, she became destitute and lived on the streets. After much searching, her husband finally found her and said, You shall not be a prostitute. You shall not lie with other men. I will be only yours and you shall be only mine. He said this because he still loved her very much. Did you know that this man's name was Hosea and his wife was Gomer and their story appears in the pages of the Bible? God had this story recorded to illustrate his great love for us. Even though we may have been uncaring and unconcerned about a relationship with him, love is one of the greatest themes of the Bible and has caused God to reach out to us even when we were uncaring about him. God can't love you any more than he already does. He is love. And I know Ken's been talking about that. 1 John 4.18. It's his essence. It's his nature. But you can receive more of it and feel it more and experience more. God's not holding back. You know, some religions teach, oh, you've got to, you know, plead the blood of Jesus. You've got to read your Bible more. You've got to fast and pray and then God will love you more. No, God loves you as much as he's ever going to. But a lot of times, our receivers aren't tuned. The more you believe it, the more you will find yourself loving God. The scripture says we love him because he first loved us. As we get a revelation of how much God really loves us, uh, then we love him back in return. So what is love? As I was preparing this, all these songs came up, you know, and there's a Saturday Night Live skit, a Saturday Night Live skit, What is Love? And I was going to put that up, but I think I've been banned from Saturday Night Live skits for a while. So. <laughs> So there's much confusion today on the subject of love because we're limited only to one English word, love, with a broad range of meanings. For example, if I say I love my wife, I love my dog, I love apple pie, obviously I'm not talking about love in the same degree or definition. In the New Testament period, there are four major Greek words that were used, and Ken stole my thunder a couple weeks ago when he reviewed them, so we'll just go through them real quick. There was uh, eros love, which is erotic love, uh, storge uh, which is the natural bond between a mother and an infant, father, children. Uh, phileo, which is like brotherly love, where we get the word Philadelphia from. And then agape love, and this is the love I want to talk about today. Agape love is God's kind of love. It is seeking the welfare and betterment of another, regardless of how we feel. Agape does not have the primary meaning of feelings or affection. Jesus displayed it when he went to the cross and died for you and me, regardless of how you felt. In the Gospels, Jesus prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And that's found in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18. Jesus sought the betterment of you and me, regardless of his feelings. Matthew 7, 12, I think that's our first verse, or well, maybe not, anyway. Matthew 7, 12 states, um, so whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We can agape our enemies regardless of how we feel. If they are hungry, we can feed them. If they thirst, we can give them a drink. We can choose to seek the betterment and welfare of others regardless of how we feel. I went to Iraq in 2007, and uh, I was a nurse practitioner at the time, and they pushed us out to infantry and field artillery units to be uh, battalion surgeons. 
And we'd get all kinds of patients. We'd get active duty army, military, United States citizens. We'd get coalition forces. We'd get enemy forces, terrorists, uh, little children, uh, and uh, other Iraqi civilians. And you have to have this agape love when you're working on somebody that, you know, just shot your buddy and you shot him, but it's our job to save his life. And that's where I really kind of started to experience this agape love. It doesn't make sense. But as a profession, that's what you do. You keep people alive. And I can only hope that those people were able to experience that kind of love because I know they wouldn't have done that for us. You know, they like to capture us and shoot us and drag us through the streets, uh, torture us and things like that. But the American soldiers taught to protect them. To You know, we capture them, of course, uh, but we provide medical care to them as well. You know, at one minute this guy's shooting me, the next minute... I'm repairing the bullet hole, you know, that our guys uh, gave to him. So Jesus was the greatest expression of love that ever came into the world. But it's never recorded that he ever said the words, I love you. You ever notice that? And I wondered why, and then I stumbled on something, and it's because 95% of all love is nonverbal. Jesus did not love with just words, but in deed and truth. If your actions contradict your words, what are people going to believe? Your words or your actions? Your actions, of course. Lines Expository Dictionary states, love can be known only from the actions that it prompts. The following is a description of love, uh, agape love, also called charity in the New Testament. This paraphrase is based upon research of the Greek and English words and their meaning. So I really enjoyed going through this uh, because it just expands it. So love suffereth long. God's love has a tolerance for and endures, endures trying situations and persons beyond an average standard. God's love is patient. How many people tolerate and endure trying situations? You know, in this uh, culture, instant gratification. If I don't get it my way, I'll just move on. Um, God suffers long, you know. Love is kind. God's love is of a friendly nature, generous, hospitable, warm-hearted, and good. God's love is charitable and helpful, showing sympathy and understanding for others. It is considerate, forbearing, tolerant, courteous, and thoughtful, desiring only to promote another's welfare. It is generous, liberal, and beneficial, demonstrating itself in kindly acts. Love envieth not. God's love does not resent another good, another's good fortune or desire to have what is his. God's love is not jealous and does not deprive another of what he has. Love vaunteth not itself. Some old English. God's love does not boast or brag or abound with self-praise. It's not vain or proud. Love is not puffed up. God's love is not high-minded or puffed up with pride. Love does not behave itself unseemly. God's love does not act, react, function, or perform in a manner which is in bad taste, improper, or in violation of what is right. Love seeks not her own. God's love does not demand its own way. Love is not easily provoked. God's love is not easily annoyed or incited to anger or resentment. 
Love thinketh no evil. God's love does not reason about or reflect upon that which causes or constitutes misfortune, suffering, difficulty, or the like. God's love does not ponder upon wickedness. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity. God's love feels joyful when right. Sincerity, integrity, honesty, and truth prevail. Love bears all things. God's love makes it possible to withstand all stress and difficulty. Because God is love, he supports and carries on his own person whatever is placed upon him. God's love protects, covers, and keeps off anything which threatens the benefit and welfare of another. God's love holds back, refrains, and is tolerant and patient in all circumstances. Love believeth all things. God's love puts faith in others, believing the best of everyone, without criticizing or looking for fault. Love hopes all things. Love, God's love persists in hoping against all odds, in confidence and expectation of fulfillment of that which is promised. Love endures all things. God's love causes one to carry on through despite, through despite hardships. Love never fails. God's love never proves insufficient in duration or is unsuccessful in effectiveness. Love will never disappoint or prove undependable. God's love goes on forever and will never come to an end. So according to Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit, are you walking in love and trusting the Holy Spirit's power for the manifestation of this virtue? We've all been given that Spirit that lives in us. Sin is the transgression of the principles of love. Always let love be your highest aim and your greatest pursuit. Like John Lennon said, all you need is love. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. 2 John 6 says, And this is love that we walk after His commandments. If I were to ask someone to describe love, he might say, It's a warm feeling, a tender affection. It gives me goosebumps. But God says, Brothers and sisters, this is love. You live and you walk in my principles and my commandments. Then you have to learn the principles. Romans 13 says those principles of love will never harm anyone. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of the law. When you walk in these principles, you're walking in love. Love is kind. That means generous. That means giving. That means being unselfish. And that means seeking the best of someone else. God says, this is love. Walk after these principles. But you can't give what you don't have. The first step in understanding how much God loves you is that once you understand this, then you can begin to give love away. If you come from a dysfunctional home and you've never seen love or you've never seen expressions of kindness and affection, if you've never heard your father or mother say, I love you to each other, then it won't matter if you come to a marriage and vow to love your spouse for the rest of your life. If you've never seen your parents hug or kiss or you never saw your father give a gift to your mother just because he wanted to, You have no concept of what I'm talking about. You have no concept at all what it means by love and how to be loving to someone. So as a challenge to all your parents out there, I encourage you to show affection to each other, especially in front of your kids. Even if you vow to do it in just a matter of months, your marriage will break down and start falling to pieces. You see your children are going to take out of your home what they've seen in your home. If they've never experienced it, then they can't take it with them. 
So someone might say, I've never seen it in my home. I don't know what God's talking about. Well, I'll show you right here. Matthew seven twelve says, So then, in everything, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the essence of the law and the writings of the prophets. Here it is in written form. When Jesus said it is written in the Greek, it meant, say it again. God's telling us. I'm saying to you again. And this is what I'm saying. Whatever you want someone to do for you, that's what you do for them. Why can't we love? Because we're caught in this principle of sin, and this principle of sin is selfishness. If someone's sitting there saying they don't love me, if they love me, why don't they come over here and visit me? Don't they know I'm hurting? Why do, don't they come over here and pray for me? There are a bunch of hypocrites down at that church. Why don't they do something? Don't they know I'm hurting? I'm hurting so bad. Why doesn't anybody care? What has God said? God said, this is the way it really works. Get up out of your pity party and think about what you would want done to you. Would you want someone to be kind to you? Would you want someone to give a gift to you? Would you want to be someone to be loving and say kind words to you? Not jokes that put you down, but words that say, this is what I like about you. Put those principles into action and do you know what will happen? The love you've been desiring will be generated in these people you've been ministering to and it will come back to you. In good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over with no space left for more. For with the standard of measurement you use when you do good to others, it'll be measured to you in return. And I know a lot of uh, churches like to use this uh, verse as tithing and giving and things like that, but I think it, it, goes, it doesn't specify here. Whatever you give and in what measure you use. If you use a thimble, you're going to get a thimble back. If you use a scoop shovel, you're going to get a scoop shovel back. Use a backhoe, Get more back. So Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. So to have friends, I know Janine always used to tell our boys this, to have friends, you've got to be a friend, right? Kind of have to maybe make the first step. To have love, you have to give love. And that's the way God works. It's, it's mind-boggling because it seems totally upside down. You know, in order to give, get something, I've got to give something first. You know, but we're so stuck that, well, I want mine first. And that's not the way God works. God so loved that he gave. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only and begotten Son, that whoever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. Love is a verb. Remember that song? <laughs> Love is an action word. Love can only be seen by what it does, not by the words that are said. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It is good to say that I love you. But if I say I love you, yet do things opposite of love, in deed, then I'm lying. Love is an action, and it has to be seen. So here's another song for you. Love, it's based on a feeling. Or is it? The Bible never teaches you to love only when you're feeling like loving. The problem is that we don't feel like it often enough. The world isn't full of love, is it? The Bible doesn't say to feel like loving and then love. 
the Bible commands me to love and my feelings will follow. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with a caring, unselfish love. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the commandment. If I thought that love was just a feeling or an emotion, I might say, I want to be with you because I feel good when I'm with you. What if that was my only concept of love? It's a form of love, but it's not the kind of love that God commands us to have. God says, I'm telling you to love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. So the key to understanding this and other statements about love is to know that this love, agape, is not so much a matter of emotion as it is of doing things for the benefit of another person, irregardless of whether they deserve it or not. Having an unselfish concern for another and a willingness to seek the best for another. If I thought love was just a warm feeling, I'd be saying, God, do you mean I have to have a warm feeling of love and affection for somebody who slaps me in the face? persecutes me, hates me, and slanders me? That's impossible. But the Bible didn't say to love when you feel love. All right, another song. It's only natural. Remember Carlton? Yeah, it's only natural. Uh, While it's natural for me to nourish and cherish my body, it's not natural for me to nourish and cherish my wife. Why? Because the principle of sin came into the first marriage. It didn't come into the first church. It came into the first marriage. In Genesis 3, we see sin entered into creation and into marriage. All of a sudden, there was natural. What was natural was no longer natural. Why? Because the root of sin in my life caused me to go astray and turn to my own way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So now I'm independent. Now I want to do things my way. There's this principle of sin that causes independence in people. They want to go their own way, do their own thing. They don't care if they hurt someone else. There's some type of dysfunction in every family like this. Perhaps you never saw affection or expressions of kindness and love in your home. There's only one way to love with that kind of love because it's not natural. It has to be learned. It's going to have to come from God's word. Someone might say, I've never seen it in my home. I don't know what God's talking about. Here it is in written form when Jesus said again, Therefore all things whatsoever you would do that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. God's telling us, I'm saying to you again, this is what I'm saying. Whatever you want someone to do for you, that's what you do for them. Why can't we love? Because we're caught in this principle of sin, and this principle of sin is selfishness. So God gave us a model of his relationship to his people through marriage. Have you noticed that nearly everything we're seeing about the marriage relationship has a spiritual counterpart? Did you know that God actually talks about three different kinds of marriages in the scriptures? He talks about marriage between a man and a woman, our marriage to him, and our marriage to the law. God compares the marriage union between a man and woman to the relationship that he himself has with us, his people. Marriage is a physical reflection of a spiritual truth. Spiritual things are more real than physical things. In a sense, God says, to help you understand the relationship that I'm calling you to, I'm going to give you a little scale model 
to show you what I'm talking about. Everything that we say about a good marriage, one that all God's designed it to be, is a model of what a relationship with God should be. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, In the same way, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, with great gentleness and tact, and with an intelligent regard for the marriage relationship, as with someone physically weaker since she is a woman. Show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. In this union, God has called both male and female to be heirs together of the gracious gift of life. Have you ever taken the attitude of, I don't care what my husband or my wife does. I'm going to do this or that, or I'm going to follow God. That's fine, but God doesn't see it that way. The way God sees it is that you're heirs together of the gracious gift of life. If you don't understand that principle and you try to be independent and do your own thing, your prayers will be hindered. The counterpart of this truth is that when God has called us into a union with Him, into what He even calls a marriage relationship, we become heirs together with Him of the gracious gift of life. Just as I'm not to do anything independently of my wife because of our relationship, so it is with my relationship in the Lord. I'm not to do anything independently of Him. A lot of times we get these great plans and then ask God to bless off on them instead of going to God first and saying, hey God, what's your plan? Right? Do you know what the real root of sin is? It's independence. It's being self-sufficient. It's self. The original temptation in Genesis was not to be like the devil. It was to be like God. The temptation was to eat of the tree and be like God. Didn't God say, tell us to be like him? The trouble is God doesn't want us to be like him independently of him. I'm in a marriage relationship and the only way I can be like him is by being joined in this union of divine oneness. Now I've taken on his name, Christian. I become one in spirit. According to 1 Corinthians 6.17, but the one who is united and joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. My spirit and God's spirits have been united into one through Jesus Christ. The fruit I bear has to be produced through his strength and ability. God designed a little physical scale model here on earth with the man as the lover and the woman as the responder. And just as she'll respond back with love if she's given love, God said, I want you to know that you love me because I first loved you. The Bible doesn't say that we just started loving God on our own. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. Jesus is the lover and the church is the responder. Jesus has given the church everything it's need, everything it needs. Have we responded? Our selfishness prevents us from responding. Our fear prevents us from responding. Our ignorance prevents us from responding. Do we understand? Have we got a revelation of all that Christ has given us? He loves us so much. As kids, we had this little competition between us three boys, and mom would say, We'd say, love you, mom. And she'd say, how much? We'd say, oh, this much. And then my older brother, he got something. And he's like, oh, too much to say. Well, how do you beat that? Like, That's infinity, you know. Infinity to the power of infinity or whatever. And so a lot of times we say, Jesus, how much do you love us? He's like, do you love us this much? This much? Too much to say? He's like, no, I love you this much. And he stretched out his arms and he died for us. The Bible says, greater man hath no love than one that lay down his life for another. Some may say, but I don't know how or even where to start. The good news is that this type of love can be taught. Titus chapter 2. Titus, that's a book that 
isn't really ever preached on. Uh, it's in the New Testament. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 says, But as for you, teach the things which are in agreement with sound doctrine, which produces men and women of good character, whose lifestyle identifies them as true Christians. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness, Christ-like in character. Older women similarly are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor addicted to much wine, teaching what is right and good. I just kind of blew over that. Define too much. So that they may encourage and teach the young women to tenderly love their husbands and their children, to be sensible, pure, makers of a home where God is honored, good-natured, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. This says that love is not a feeling, but it's a principle to be taught by the older women to the younger women in the church, and from the older men to the younger men. Love is something that can be taught. Although you haven't been given these principles, do you know what it's going to take to be able to walk in them? It's going to take getting down on your knees and saying, Hey God, I can't do it in my own strength or ability. It's amazing how many times you get back to that point, isn't it? Something comes up in life, and it's like, hey, God, I can't handle this one either. You know, it's like, might as well just stay there. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. You know, some of the lessons, uh, I just read a book about a neurosurgeon who went to Iraq in 2004, 2005, and some of the lessons that he kind of learned were some of the same lessons I think every soldier brings back. One is you're not in control. You know, there's just so many things that's beyond your control. And if it's not your time to go, it's not your time to go. We had people that were shot in the head that survived. One guy went through a door. The enemy was on the other side of the door and got shot in the, in the mouth. At first, he thought he just got punched in the mouth. Well, he kept getting a toothache, so he went to the dentist, and the dentist took an x-ray. He's like, you got a bullet lodged up there. So it just wasn't his time to go. So I think, you know, again, you get to this place where... I'm not in control. There's just so many things I can't control. But God's in control. And you just have to humble yourself and go to him and say, God, I can't do it on my own strength. He's like, yeah, I know. I was waiting for you to show up. So, you know. It goes against the grain of my flesh to honor someone else above myself. It goes against the grain of my flesh to give another person rather than meeting my own selfish needs. It takes God, who is the source of love, the author of love, and the one who's saying, brothers, I wrote it down because I wanted to show you that if you're walking in these principles, you're on the right path. Keep looking to me. I'll give you divine ideas. I'll give you creative ideas on how to love others, how to be in love, and how to stay in love, even when you don't feel like it. Jesus didn't feel like it when he went to the cross. He demonstrated love. The love that he demonstrated in going to the cross even went against his feelings. He didn't feel like it, but he chose to operate in the principles of divine love that God gave us in the scriptures. He gave himself without feeling like it, and as he gave, many of us have been given back to him the feeling of love and appreciation. We generated that love back to Christ when he took a step of love, a step to love us without feelings. So in closing, agape love can happen. It can happen in your marriage. It can happen in your friendships. It can happen in your job situation. It can happen if you make it your goal. 
Make operating in the principles of divine love the most important thing in your life. The next time you come to a decision, just stop and think. Am I making this decision based on selfishness and what I want? Or am I considering others in this decision? Amen?